you're listening to The Bounding Box, where we talk about web development, geo development, and everything in between. All right, man, so let's get started here. Let's, uh, let's dive yeah. right in. Why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself, tell us who you are, what you do, what you've been up to and stuff. Great. Uh, well, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Silas Toms, and I'm a um, the director of data engineering now at Volta Charging, um, which is a, a, a funny path that um, I've ended up here because I kind of you know grew up wanting to be like running in the woods. Um, and even when I started on my like tech career with, with geography, I thought maybe it would be like collecting trail data using GPS <laughs> or something. But I, um, yeah, I got into geography in college uh, and realized that it added the like, kind of like the why to what happened with with history uh you know like geography explained a lot about like why people moved the way they did or um grew what they grew or built how they built or wore what they wore um because you know they were sort of constrained by the local geography uh, yeah which i found fascinating so um it, it just was a really cool um and under uh, and misunderstood, but also under understood um, discipline, you know. So, and then I found out that, like, uh, especially during the um, uh, economic uh, downturn in 08, that there was a whole technical side that I could get into. And I had done like a little bit of programming in the past, but I just really dove into Python and combined it with GIS over the last 15 years uh, to get where I'm at now. So it's been a long journey, but. Yeah, I, I really um, love the marriage of geography, technology, um, data, and analysis and visualization that uh, modern GIS and um, data represents. Well, that's awesome. Um, when you were in school, did you, was it mostly focused on physical geography or the human geography? Well, it was a combination of both. Um, there was a lot of physical geography in the, uh, especially lower level stuff. And, you know, I took a pretty cool class on weather and yeah. uh, agriculture, but one of the, my favorites was one on, on the uh, geography of China, where um, we really studied a lot about the physical geography. So we explained a lot about, you know, where the rivers are, the, these giant rivers uh, in China, um, how they've fed agriculture, you know, the North China Plain, how like, you know, some 400 million people or something, maybe more live there and um, utilize all the water that that um, uh, that rains down on, on China, you know, throughout their rainy season, especially, and how um, the trade winds bring so much water to when uh, across the Pacific and when it hits China, it just dumps and creates you know the rice growing regions in the south mm -hmm. and then the more wheat regions in the north that combined with some uh history classes i'd taken at santa cruz on china just blew my mind like it gave me a real understanding of where the why there's minority populations up in the mountains in the south how the han had like unified in the north and pushed south uh, why the rivers had kind of dominated their psyche, you know, the yellow to the Yangtze. Um, it was just a huge combination of cultural, human, uh, and physical geography that 
just gave me much more uh, insight into how humans live, how they live and, and why. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, when I was in school, we did, we had our physical, like I said, we had the weather class, which is always fun. Yeah. But um, the courses I took were most, most focused on like uh, human geography stuff. A lot of Marxist geography. It's cool. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, was, I was all like, man, this is pretty heavy. I, it was probably the professors, give it that. Yeah. But it definitely gave me a very interesting perspective yeah. and stuff at that time. <laughs> well, you know, some of my favorite uh, courses in uh, my master's, which... I did here at San Francisco State University after um, finishing my bachelor's at Humboldt was um, it was just focused on like how geography is something like you carry with you, especially talking about like when the Chinese were coming to went to San Francisco to Chinatown in, you know throughout the 1800s, especially there was a, like a lot of um, assumptions that they carried disease with them that like, you know, they, they were being, you know, brutally utilized for labor, but kind of despised by the white poor, you know, in my town up in Eureka or uh, near where I grew up in Humboldt County, there's a famous incident where like they kicked all the Chinese residents out in like 1895. They put them on a boat down to San Francisco because there was a, a war between some tongs, you know, some gangs uh, in, in the Chinatown of Eureka at the time. And, um, the white laborers were very, you know, already suspicious. Of oh, wow. So it's just like this, you know, um, you can't escape, even though they'd come to America just looking for the same opportunity that everybody else had, right? Uh, like they were unable to escape their geography because it was imprinted on them. So like, that's a really interesting concept in some of those theoretical discussions that we had that go beyond like a map. And, and, you know, like the, the concepts of what geography is just was really expanded for me uh, through that idea of, yeah, like economic justice. People are affected by where they live, you know, um, mm -hmm. their uh, air pollution. You know, one thing that always stuck with me is like, you can't put industry in single family home areas, but you can put homes in industrial areas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, yeah, like uh, when you look at things through that lens, it does lend itself towards a, um, you know, a, a, there's like a, a cultural, um, I don't know, not fully Marxist all the time, but like a lot of socialism that runs through it and just sort of a, an understanding of like people over here are suffering, you know, um, because of this X number of factors, uh, air pollution, floods, yep. um, freeways dividing up their land, you know, that kind of yeah exactly all, all the history that that goes with how all that was formed and uh, yeah decision making put into place and stuff like that that kind of divides people up by their geography right like yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah exactly whether or not it's fully intentional it always kind of lands pretty squarely on the backs of the poor and minorities mm -hmm. especially because they live in like flatter areas where freeways are probably easier to build and they have no political power, you know? Yeah, I mean? exactly. So it's like the combination of both ends up really screwing them over, especially in the seventies when they were building on these things. So you, when you look at it through a geography lens, it adds some understanding. It doesn't make it easier or better <laughs> to see these stories, you know? <laughs> it's interesting. If you look at some of the areas in LA, there are a couple of areas where there's unfinished freeways because oh, really? those particular areas have become affluent over the years and have much more, uh, like you said, political power and influence yeah. over 
running a freeway through their neighborhoods. Yeah, you know, LA is a funny, um, like my dad tells me that when he started dating my mother, who uh, grew up in the, you know, she was born in New York, but like grew up in Western LA. Um, and he would look east and just see like layers and layers and layers of pollution over the city looking towards the San Gabriels, which you could barely see at the time. You know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, it like they cleaned up a lot of it with the like, you know, extreme air pollution measures throughout the 70s. Thank God. Um, but, you know, it's still affecting people. Like there's probably such high cancer rates, such high like, like I think more than anything, health uh, depends on clean air and you know, maybe clean water too and good food. But like clean air is just something that you, you can't, <laughs> you can't escape the need for um and I, i've always wondered like how how many um cancers you know happened or um or even like have you ever seen that theory about how leaded gasoline caused like uh an increase in crime oh wow, i haven't seen that one yeah it's pretty interesting if you google that like oh, okay everywhere that there was like a lot of leaded gasoline there was like an increase in violent crime and as they phased it out in the um 80s and, and 90s the violent crime decreased at the same time huh yeah yeah that's a really interesting one i gotta look that one up that's cool <laughs> yeah right so like yeah what you're breathing in what you're eating what you're drinking that's all going to affect your community right and uh your geography it becomes you that way because i remember as a kid we'd have those uh uh smog days where you couldn't uh, they'd cancel pe because you know couldn't really go outside and they didn't want to risk the health and stuff terrible but, <laughs> yeah I, they have less and less, I suppose, now, huh? I haven't heard of them. Uh, my kids never had them over here anymore, but yeah. I remember being a kid having to have that uh, yeah. pop up. Yeah, I mean, um, L.A. was famous for it. You know? and, uh, <laughs> uh, it was like almost a, a joke worldwide. Now, I guess maybe that's moved on to like, you know, concerns about Beijing or you know, yeah. parts of India uh, are still suffering from stuff like that. But um I always think like too, like you look back uh, to the, I was thinking of the movie Parenthood. Have you seen that movie? Oh yeah. Yeah. The, um, the grandpa in that is like 65 and he looks terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and, and people who are 65 now just look a little bit better. Um, and I wonder a lot, like did the clean air act have something to do with that? Like, I wouldn't be surprised at all because yeah, you look at some people today, like uh, the actors in like cocoon, like those people, like, yeah they really aren't that old if you think about it now right like i'm, I'm, I'm getting there <laughs> yeah i know yeah we, we both have a couple of gray hairs so <laughs> um we we're, we're thinking about getting that old right and uh i i would be surprised if i feel like i've just wrinkled up that much that i need to go swim in a pool with a bunch of alien eggs <laughs> oh man all right so let's dive into your your new book coming out all right it is yeah. uh python for arcgis pro right yeah i know it's great um this will be the it's basically the third in a series it's it's a it's a new book it's not using any older material but it's in essence updating um my arcpi books which um i've really enjoyed writing and the the second edition especially which i wrote with daryl byrne is a good friend of mine uh, i went to grad school with it covered a lot of great material on both ArcPy and ArcGIS Online, which was like really getting big. You know, that was four years ago or so. Um, and uh, and, Arc, and ArcGIS Pro was just getting started somewhere around there as well. 
But this one focuses um, a lot more on ArcGIS Pro, obviously, and the ArcGIS uh, API for Python, as well as uh, ArcPy, which is still, you know, I it's hard to tell exactly where the uh, each stop they kind of overlap a little bit but more than anything we try to show like here's what you can do on the desktop and here's what you can do to get data into the cloud and and share it on your map and so, we even do one one chapter uh one case study where you create like a um, arcgis api for javascript web map as well with some data you've processed in python nice so yeah like i've had a couple of um my coworker bill parker Who's like you know been an environmental consultant uh, for the last 10, 12 years, uh, working on a lot of environmental quality SQL stuff. He does a whole bunch on like how to automate cartography because he had to make so many state reports. <laughs> he had yeah, to all the time. Uh, ArcPy is a lifesaver. Yeah, and uh, and uh, the ArcGIS API is really cool. So um, I I enjoyed this one. It's a uh, pretty in-depth and we tried to include stuff on a lot of raster data um, and then even like getting into pandas and numpy and a lot of notebook coverage so i guess that's a really cool thing with like the the python for just api i mean you can um you're not limited to just the using the arcgis modules with python you can mix and match whatever it is yeah. you want to bring in right so yeah so for instance that case study i mentioned which is the last chapter it, um, I worked with uh, a master's student at, from Johns Hopkins, um, Joshua, who he um, had written up uh, a pretty cool final paper and we turned it into this case study. And in essence, it combines like the request module where he's like calling data from the World Bank on uh, agricultural data for the last you know 40 years or something. And then he, um, you know, downloads it, processes it. He describes all this, like, uh, and then uses a um, scikit-learn random forest classifier to classify the data. So you got the data science part, and then um, you know converts it into a service, an ArcGIS Online using the ArcGIS module, and um, publishes it in a little web map using the ArcGIS API for JavaScript. So you go for like from the raw data on a, someone else's server to getting it on your server to processing it, classifying it, and then viewing it all in one, you know, 40 page chapter or whatever. It's um, some real cool stuff, I think. And the ability, yeah, like, just like you're saying, to bring in, you know, the request module, all these um, open source scikit modules um, to use um, notebooks to do uh, some pandas work. It's cool. And like, that's the best part about the Python ecosystem, I think. Yeah, I think for people that are like coming into GIS, maybe have had a couple years under the belt or so, and they're looking to move from like GIS tech to GIS analyst, getting into Python and just uh, data processing like that is probably the next step for them you know, to move on to that analyst spot yeah. that they're looking at, right? Or uh, data engineering. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm too. Now. And so for instance, like as a data engineer, we use things like Airflow, which have you used Airflow at all? No, I haven't used that one. Yeah, so it's a um, Apache project called Apache Airflow, donated by Airbnb, I believe. Oh, sweet! Uh, and it's in essence a self-contained software package that you can deploy to schedule your scripts to move huh. data. So as a data engineer, it's perfect. We're like 
writing all these scripts to pull data uh, from an API or from another part of our organization that needs to be updated constantly. We have a couple of uh, software as a service applications that we support that need to have the data updated on a, some schedule. So that allows us to just write the script, say, here's when we want it to run. And then we can log in through a web browser and see that it ran and you know see all the steps that executed correctly. It's freaking awesome. Um, I, I really like the ability to uh, just manage scripts in like a professional and you know uh, clean way. It, it, it brings scripting up to the level of like, you know, just uh, you, you, it feels very professional. Let's put it that way. It's uh, much better than uh, writing a bunch of cron jobs and crossing your fingers, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, um, I mean, cron jobs are cool, but they're headless in the sense that like you have to dig in to figure out exactly what you've scheduled and you know, like, did it run? <laughs> yeah, there's other ways, obviously, but it's just like nice to have that front end. Um, and uh, it, you know, takes you like creating pipelines, creating consistent pipelines that people rely on. That takes you from like the, you know, tinkerer to the professional engineer in essence yeah that's kind of the dividing line if there is one i mean i i didn't feel any different when i got the title <laughs> yeah exactly right I mean, you're, you're yeah. still you're still working you're still doing the work that you want to do and stuff but just like you know you got a new title a little bit more responsibility yeah uh, yeah uh, i've got a, a great team too that i'm leading now um way smarter than me which is i think the way you want to do it you know like you want to hire people who can like, like we're now instituting, um, you know, continuous integration, continuous delivery, um, a whole new architecture for our database. Uh, and like, I just, you know, help brainstorm and think of things and set the, the motivations and, you know, bring the um, overall plan from up on high down to my team. But they're the ones who are just like, Oh yeah, here's what we're going to do. Da, 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 da. Yes, <laughs> so glad I hired you. <laughs> I, I think that's like the key part, right? You always want to work with people that are smarter than you, uh, people that you, you uh, yeah. that help lift each other up and stuff like that, and yeah, you know, look forward to get the job done, which is always nice. <laughs> yeah, I agree. You you learn constantly that way, um, and uh, you know the work gets done fast, um, and you all look good. Uh, you know. It's, it's, being on the group project with the with the smart kid in class. <laughs> I want to say I can't remember exactly, but I want to say that ArcMap originally shipped with just VBA. Like I think a lot of desktop products just yeah. had VBA at the time, right? Uh -huh. Like, and it wasn't until like an eight point something release that it got might have gotten the Python in there. Yeah, like an early ArcPy um, module. ArcGIS scripting. That's right. That's what it was. Um. And I used a little ArcGIS scripting. It was limited. It didn't have as much cartographic control, but it did do some data stuff that was very cool. And then uh, when they switched to calling it uh, ArcPy and um, they introduced like the data access module and, and some of the spatial access stuff as well. I loved it. Yeah, because I was doing a whole lot of processing of data for the high-speed rail project, which may or may mm -hmm. never be built. Again, this was 12 years ago. Oh, point. yeah. <laughs> um, and basically we would get, you know, new potential routes uh, drawn as CAD products from engineers. Um, I was an environmental consultant. So what we would do is we would take those CAD products, convert it into shape files, and then analyze it against a host of protected resources. Everything from, you know, streams to um, 
protected architecture to farmland to species range and calculate the um, effects uh, of each different potential route. It was, you know, manually, it was like a four day process. Yeah. Right? Um, but when I got there at the environmental consulting firm, I was like, I think I can automate this. And I did with ArcPy. It took a, I don't know, a month to figure it out. And then it was down to an hour. And we like had it spitting out, you know, a spreadsheet that would say like, this is the exact amount of acreage of each of these protected resources that were affected. And that's when I was like, yes, this is stuff. <laughs> yeah, and that's always pretty because that, that uh, time, I don't know, I don't know if a lot of people realize, but the, like, the time to prepare like reports like that and stuff like that is dollars out there. And when you're working with like public agencies and stuff like that, yeah. it's like a very valuable <laughs> resource, right? So these oh, uh, reports that would take maybe a week or so at a time, yeah. if you can deliver them like in a day, like people yeah. are loving it, especially these engineers that need to get quick turnaround, get feedback from probably uh you know someone in office somewhere city council type of stuff right so yeah and if it's a consistent report that you're gonna have to produce over and over why not script it yeah and then you know arcpi even improved beyond the that phase and they started adding a lot of cartographic control that made it really easy to output a bunch of maps uh you know you create a, like an mxd template and you just send in, you know, this new updated data, zoom the box to it, um, and you create really um, beautiful maps automatically. You know? Yeah. With some constraints, I think there's still a few things, but Bill goes in, you know, Bill Parker goes into the, like the tips and tricks on that. I think it'll really help people because having both the data automated to the point where you're outputting a spreadsheet and then having a stack of PDF maps outputted next to it all in one flow it's pretty amazing it's great i think the the first time i really took advantage of it is we uh had every year we had to send like black and white pdfs the newspaper for uh areas that are getting annexed into the sewer district for la county oh, wow. right and, like it was just a tedious thing i didn't want to do yeah. <laughs> so arc i figured out how to get arc pad do it from him bam done like in an hour yeah you know one of my initial projects as a intern back in i think this is 08 I was working for a city and we would we were attaching um like scanned construction drawings to uh features in a web map it was actually like a a, uh, a web map guide uh what am i thinking of? it's like huh. a, one of uh what, what is the name of their tool map guide it's like map guide something like open source tool there's a version of a um a cad product an autocad product and in essence, like these engineers at the city wanted to be able to click on a street and see all the different construction projects over the last hundred years that had happened, reviewing the documents. So I had to like take 30 different single drawings, merge them together, and then attach them to the correct uh, street. And I realized I could write a script called uh, using what's PyPDF, some open source tool that just merged them all together. And I like basically almost automated, automated myself out of a job. <laughs> it, was, it happened so fast. And I was just like, oh, but my boss was loving it. And he recommended me for my next job and, you know, on and on. Um, it would, but I, I still feel like that discovery, that feeling was just so exciting. Like, wait a minute, if I just write this, you know, 20 line script, it will do these hours of work for me. And I don't think I've gotten over that ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, 
what else you want to tell people about like uh, Python or what's in your book, mm -hmm. for example, right? Any, uh... yeah. Well, there's like an intro to Python if you don't feel comfortable yet. Um, you know, there's lots of resources online, obviously, uh, there's classes and stuff, but I do think that it, uh, it helps to have some a review. And then um, we try to go really in depth. This is, um, I mean, it's a big book. So it's going to cover, you know, everything from like we just talked about with a lot of data analysis and spatial analysis um, up through the cartography. And then we do, try, I did spend some time writing about pandas and how to like utilize oh, pandas to do data analysis, which is really cool. I think you use it a lot, right? Yeah, I've used that uh, quite a bit before. It's been a while. Yeah. I don't have to do too much Python these days, but uh, oh, nice. <laughs> in the times I have, it's been uh, quite, a, quite helpful to me. Yeah, I mean, my world has opened up to where I do a lot of um, web maps too. Uh, so mm -hmm. there's a lot of JavaScript, which took me, you know, uh, I'd say a good year to get comfortable with all the brackets everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Because it's just so much cleaner in, in uh, Python. And then, but once I got over that, um, I love it. So like the ability to, instead of creating a printed map that is like one you know, zoom level and that's it, like, you have to control for so many different kinds of zoom levels, how the data will act when you click on it, what pop-ups are going to do, um, your colors. Mm -hmm. There's 3D now, you know, like. All oh, right. Yeah, just, uh, I love that. So, yeah, to be able to go from raw data to this incredible visual with, a, you know, a combination of Python and JavaScript, I think is just super cool. And I will say this for Python because I, I've done it in both that testing in Python is just so much nicer to do than it is with JavaScript. Just yeah. I don't care what anyone says, that's a hill I'll die on today. It's just yeah. it's it's just a better experience overall. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, and um, you know, we're also using things uh internally like fast API, which is like really improving it's an asynchronous servers so okay. like it kind of catches up to some of the node uh stuff that uh, um i also really like about javascript i don't do as much server-side stuff but um i i do think that like python web capabilities are you know a lot of people use them but they're kind of maligned in some ways like they're solid but not spectacular but they, they seem to be improving yeah, like I think the first time I saw like notebooks, like Jupyter notebooks and stuff like yeah. that with Python stuff, like I had never seen it before. Somebody introduced it to me and I was like, are you kidding me? Like I can just start scripting stuff out and watch the results as I go by that. That's amazing. Especially <laughs> for maps, right? Yeah, like right. Seeing your map right there or your graph right there, right below your code. Uh, <laughs> you don't have to go back and forth between three different screens. Like, I think people that are like learning and they see notebooks for today, like just don't quite get how amazing it is to be able to do that. Like, it's just great. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Like, I, I guess I'm deep in the data science world, so it feels normal to me now. But I, I think you're right. I think we forget how uh, amazing just that coding environment is because it's so immediate. Yeah, right. That immediate feedback that you get, you're able to see right away that uh, a part of the code may not work and you fix that and bam, everything just runs in the sequence as expected. And like, wow, okay, great. I have a result now. Yeah, <laughs> I know it's, um, it's both really cool and uh, just like a great learning tool, but it's a, it's the standard basically for most data science now. Yep. So uh, um, I think like we have to get data scientists even more used to, you know, 
publishing scripts and services and algorithms and getting off of uh, notebooks in some ways, but um, they're so convenient. It's, it, I have a hard time arguing against them. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice, man. Nice. All right. So, because, yeah, so uh, what, what have you been working on lately? What kind of projects and uh, services and such? I mean, so I, I am very deep in the JavaScript API and a lot of what I do has to like, uh, deal with like building apps and helping people optimize their, their, uh, app building and workflows and stuff. Yeah. Uh, a couple of projects I'm working on this year, which hopefully I can get out by the end of the year. I can't really talk about it yet, but uh, awesome. I'm hoping that they'll, uh, that, pe that will, people will benefit from them, right? I'm hoping to make things a little bit easier for people to build apps and integrate maps everywhere and get that yeah. out there. So that's my, my next goal uh, yeah. for this year. You know, I was just on a, uh, one of the uh, Mapbox um, designers was doing like a AMA today. And I asked him a question about like, you know, what do you think is next for web mapping? Because I honestly think as cool as it is now, um, I think there's a lot more we can do with it. So what do you think's next with web mapping? And like, where do you want to see it go? Yeah, that's a tough one, right? I mean, I think we've got 3D in the web, and I think that's growing. Um, it's cool. It's cool I, as heck. Yeah, exactly, right? And I think visualization is still coming up, right? I think we're, we're yeah. starting to get to the point on the web that you can do stuff in desktop in terms of visualization, yeah. right? Like this whole uh, almost Photoshop-like effects you can do in the web. I think that's coming really close at this point, and I think that's growing um i just think integration like everywhere right like people are just going to have like uh, be able to integrate not just maps but map data i think it's a big one yeah right so you may not care about seeing a map but you might want to uh pull stuff out of map whether it's layers or tables or whatever someone's uh -huh. linked to a map and then start uh processing that data somehow and get a result out whether it's charts or just tables or yeah who knows what kind of visualization would do i think yeah. it's gonna be cool i know like i keep thinking about tables where you can set a field that says like you know give me all of x within a distance yeah of this point you know and it, it like populates that field like that doesn't have to be a map but um you know enabling that in the browser or or even in a spreadsheet like it's just it's a combination of worlds that uh it's about time and I'm, <laughs> I'm really glad to see that it's possible now you know and like it's very normal in some ways and people expect it so um but i do agree with you that like the 3d uh utilizing that correctly is going to be a really powerful tool for the next wave of visualization um the growth in like you know uh the ability to take advantage of the client computer and yep. um, have more interesting graphics means that we can do more and more cool things like on-screen visuals of uh, mobility you know people moving around during the day like for volta we work a lot with you know we're, we're a charging company um like ev charging stations so we're trying to figure out like how people move around during the day um, yeah and being able to um visualize that is just so helpful to our decision makers to be able to think like oh yeah i see it instead of <laughs> it being like numbers on a, on a chart or i mean numbers on a spreadsheet exactly i think that's a yeah decision making is a huge driving force i think in all of this 
that we do, right? At the end of the day, it comes down to someone needs to make a call based on something they see in a, a chart, in a map, or whatever it is, whether you're in the emergency services or you work in utilities or, uh, you know, anything like that. So, yeah, it's a huge deal. Yeah. Um, you know, I've worked in a lot of like traditional geo fields, um, real estate, uh, now all the auto industry. Um, and one thing that was really cool was like building visualizations of LIDAR data uh, <laughs> and, or as to help uh, cars um, figure out what, you know, a bicyclist looks like. Mm -hmm. right? uh, so like the combination of AI and visuals uh, and data is um, has been a really fun thing over the last few years. And I think that will continue to be important. In fact, I don't know if it's just where I've been hanging out because I just moved over to Oakland uh, in the Bay here, right? But like when I go into the city, um, I see so many Waymo cars these days, <laughs> like so many. And it might just be the street I'm on or something, but I saw like 15 yesterday. A bunch of them were charging at like oh, a wow. station. But um, I don't know what's going on. I, they must be like just collecting so much data. Oh, yeah. No, much. And that's so. where it is when, when you look at those companies like that, right? I mean, it's the data yep. that they're collecting. The same like with Tesla, right? I mean, it's, it's about the data that they're collecting when you drive your car around. That's like yeah. the bread and butter is going to be in that uh, information down the road. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's uh, the storage alone. It's just got to be insane. <laughs> uh, the offloading. And then, yeah, I saw a Zooks or whatever, Zux. I don't know. Oh, okay. I don't think I've seen that one another company drive by the other way so it's just, <laughs> just the last oh, wow. 24 hours i've seen at least 15 different data mobility <laughs> there's got to be more data about san francisco and its map than any city in the history of the world <laughs> oh i'm sure there is wow before we go why don't you uh, throw me out a tip or something like that for anyone listening that wants to get into Python or just a GIS tip in general, if you want. Yeah, well, um, I like your idea about adopting notebooks as like a coding interface. That's really friendly. Uh, but you just get interested. Figure out what makes you like, uh, you know, maps in the world and think about how you can display something interesting to you on a map using data. Like once you find a little passion in it, it makes it really easy to get technical. Uh, otherwise, it can just be a little boring. Uh, but, it, you know, figure out what your favorite, like, walking, your, your pub crawl is. and uh, <laughs> like that. Awesome, awesome. Thanks, Sass. I appreciate that. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to The Bounty Box today. Please subscribe for more content.